Franchising in Canada and an introduction with Angela Cote. Um, my guest today is an international franchise growth catalyst and I'm uh, looking forward to introducing her in more detail. But before I do, just welcome to, to all of you. Thanks for coming along and, and having a listen to our franchise radio show. Uh, just to mention that make sure you've got a notebook there to hand and uh, take notes of bits and pieces because I'm sure you'll find this quite interesting. Um, and to remind you as well that um, basically switch your phones off and let's get ready to go. So Angela Cote. Angela uh, has got an accent. <laughs> She's in Canada. <laughs> so delighted to have an international uh, visitor on the show. She's based um, over in Canada. She's um, somebody who works in the leadership um, change area. Um, and she's been in, very, very involved in franchising, quite an extraordinary background. Uh, she's been in the franchise sector for over 25 years. Um, her family founded one of the iconic Canadian brands, M&M Food Market, which she helped to grow to 500 franchise locations. 500, so that's quite significant. Her, her background gives her really unique sort of wealth of experiential wisdom that she shares with her clients, and she's going to share some of it with us today. She, using her insights from her franchise or background, franchisee experience, because she also was a franchisee within the organization. She'll tell us a bit about that. Um, she uses that knowledge to help other people in their businesses at all different stages of growth. Uh, her primary area of focus, Ansha tells me, is helping you find the right franchisees for your brand and improving franchisee engagement and profitability. So that's where the rubber hits the road. So Angela, welcome to you. Love to have you along today. I am so excited to be here. I will, I will tell you, this is the first time I've been interviewed on a podcast from, with somebody in Australia. So this is very special for me. Oh, well, great. We, we've got a reputation for breaking new ground here. So, <laughs> Good to have it. so um, okay. So um, basically, perhaps you'd like to give me a bit of your background story, because I think that's what lays the pathway for people to understand where you come from and your attributes and so forth. Sounds good. I have a little bit of a story and, and um, it, it goes all the way back to 1980 when I was five years old and my dad founded this company that you mentioned, M&M Food Market. And uh, the company is a retail frozen food chain, which he actually sold about six years ago. But um, at the time, he he saw that there was a need for for convenient food that was fast that you could make at home. So uh, there, there's a whole story there, but I mean, really his idea was we, women are entering the workforce and, you know, people were getting busier with kids activities and things and our, our, my family included. So he uh, started this, this retail uh, frozen food chain. I was five years old and I would sit in the back of the store building, putting together boxes or whatever child labor he could figure out <laughs> to uh, have me involved. And, and babysat basically at the back of the store. And so between that and uh, working in the store, the corporate original store, to uh, working with uh, franchisees across Western Canada in the late 90s, uh, I always love to point out that I was the female, uh, 20 year old female boss's daughter showing up to teach these older male franchisees how to run their business. And I'm sure, Brian, you can only imagine the reaction that I would get when I showed up and they were like, what do you know about running a business and taking risks, right? They had invested their life savings. So um, that was uh, a time where I learned a lot and really learned a lot about franchise relations. And that's where my passion, I think, 
stems from is having seen that when franchisees are properly supported, that how much they can thrive and, and you know, really optimize their opportunity. So a few years in the field, uh, that was directly after I finished university. And then I became a multi-unit franchisee of the brand. I brought the brand over to Vancouver Island in Canada and uh, opened a few stores and, and lived and breathed in the shoes of the franchisee for about 18 years. And just kind of coming to where we're at now, um, about five years ago, I was just finding people were asking me for help with franchising. Like I'm thinking of franchising my business or um, I, I've started franchising in my, you'll be shocked to hear this, Brian, but they were saying things like, my franchisees won't listen to me. Have you ever heard of that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would get that question and I would, uh, and so I'd meet with them and I realized, hmm, maybe I can help people in this area. So that's really where what all that background led to me now working, you know, with, with people that are, are franchising their business and, and I can help them with the steps and, and that sort of thing. But I, where I really get excited and, and feel passionate about is this, is this, you know, getting the right people on the team and then the, the support, because when I would go into this past few years, all these different people that I've worked with. And, and when I think back to my upbringing, when the franchisee isn't a fit, doesn't matter what you do to support them. I'm, I'm sure you know very well that if they're not a fit and they're not going to ever thrive, then there's nothing we can do. So let's, let's check off both of those boxes. Let's first try to get the right people and then let's do the right things to support them and make them feel, you know, like part of the family as opposed to uh, some of the ways that franchisees get treated. So that's, that's the story. And um, uh, you, you did mention that you have a nickname. <laughs> I knew this was coming. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> I will admit. If it's an unfair question. You can, you can park it, but uh, I'm just. No, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. So my, uh, my, my, my avatar from my upbringing is Kelly Kebab. I, uh, as a, as a young, um, you know, child and teenager, part of my, my uh, work with the company was dressing up as Kelly Kebab at grand openings. And one time my brother had one of these costumes on, I forget what he was uh, dressed up as, but he fell down in the ditch and nobody knew where he, they were like, where is he? We haven't seen him for a while. And then they found him stuck because he had, was in this big, heavy costume and he had gone to wave at cars and he was sort of Oh goodness me! We're, we're, sorry, we're breaking up. There and couldn't get up. This was. We're we're break we're breaking up. Unfortunately, oh. um, gee goodness me! Just okay, we can um, repeat. When you started saying about your brother being in the ditch. Yep. So um, repeat that. Just yeah. So I turned the video off, and that that may fix it. Do you I'm, want me to turn off my video as well? Yeah, if you wouldn't mind. That's just. Yeah, sure. Um. All right, so I'll I'll cut in here and do a bit of editing. So it's about three to four minutes in. So if you just start with your story about your, your brother again, I think that's the best sure. way. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So one of the funny things that happened, you know, we we would all show up at these grand openings as a family, my cousins and everybody seemed to have to get dressed up as something. And one time my brother was dressed up in a costume and we hadn't seen him for a while and somebody went looking for him. He in, you know, didn't really know where he'd be, but found him toppled over in a ditch 
And because these costumes were just old and clunky and, you know, not the modern kind of thing we would have nowadays, he literally just could not get up. So he was just laying there kind of waiting for somebody to come and rescue him. So uh, we have a lot of good stories about uh, things we did to attract attention. And I will say that, you know, I, I learned also a lot about how in franchising, you know, really a big part of it, I, I say to people all the time that it's all about being able to leverage the local owners in the local community. And that's what my dad was naturally really good at was, you know, what can we do to attract attention? Because advertising costs a lot of money and, you know, it's good to do. But for most small businesses and most franchise companies, there's an opportunity to leverage those connections in the community. So we did it by dressing up as kebabs and things, but I'm sure there's other ways you could do it nowadays, but it's all about getting attention. And that, that's where Kelly Kebab comes from. Well, you might, perhaps you can add something about, I mean, your experience and you mentioned how your father had a tremendous sort of uh, understanding of people and, and mm -hmm. how to support them. And obviously enormously successful to build an organization of that, that immense size. Um, so what, what do you see as the, I suppose, the, the, the go-to processes when you are recruiting people to make sure you've got the right people on board in the first place, uh, Angela? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I, you know, I, it's, it's something that I've been really trying to tune into over the past few years because I, again, saw it when I was in the field, especially, you know, as a female 20 year old boss's daughter running around there, um, that when, when people weren't a fit, you know, why was it like, what was, what were the characteristics that made them a fit or not a fit? So I think it really starts with what I would call are the, like the, the foundational DNA of a franchisee and, and just in, in all the kind of things that I've done, I've really come up with 10 traits that I see a franchisee having that, like, sorry, I should say a high performing franchisee. So um, I, I start with those 10 traits and then, I, and then I go, okay, for this brand, what's important? So like the traits are really just generic across the board, but then, you know, if it's a brand that requires um, a lot of like, a, a, you know, an additional amount of, of physical kind of energy or, or something like that, we'll obviously incorporate that in. So um, the DNA, it is something I have a, a resource if anybody would want a copy of uh, the 10 traits that I see, they'd be, I'd be more than happy to share that with anybody in your audience. I, I think that would be a wonderful thing we could offer as a free gift from you if you're that generous. And uh, if people contact you, we'll give the details at the end. Then, Absolutely, um, I yeah, I yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so important to get it right, and and I think what happens a lot of the time is that, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen this. You've got so much experience with this as well, that people, uh, they don't either they don't trust their gut or they don't know what the red flags are that that are going to tell them that this this franchisee is not going to be a fit. And I always say that it's not. I don't even want. I don't want the franchise prospect to feel like they're being judged because then they might act a certain way to cover something up. Mm -hmm. I want them to feel that it, we are really looking out for everybody's best interest and that if we get this right, that they will thrive. And if, if we uncover that, for example, they're really uncomfortable in a leadership position, yet they, as a franchisee, need to have those skills because they're going to be running a team of, of employees, wouldn't they, I would say to them, wouldn't you rather find that out now so that we can talk about that and talk about whether you need some leadership coaching or whether this maybe just isn't a fit. So um, 
yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's everything from the traits to asking the right questions, you know, in the vetting process, but also being really transparent and not, not, not holding back and, and getting right to the point as much as you can. Yeah, that's, that is, that is a good, good point. Being frank and honest and open so that you've got that, that uh, direct communication as opposed to fluffing around and so forth or, or, or otherwise, uh, literally, uh, intensely, uh, <laughs> intensely yeah. sort of, uh, interrogating people. Um, yeah, we don't want them not, to not feel like that. Yeah. I'm, cu I'm curious. Um, I'm curious, Brian, uh, what are the, a couple of the traits that you, you find are, are some of the top performing? I'm curious if, you know, we see it the same way or if there's something I might not have noticed in franchise, like high performing franchisees. Yeah, I suppose. Look, it's. I think. I think what you're looking for with people is people who can take an initiative, but play within the rules, um, is an important thing. Uh, they do need to be fo people who will accept and follow what they've, what, what what what's been learned before, and that's probably one of the big challenges, particularly in making sure when you are recruiting people that you do get the right profile of person, and you're not recruiting an out and out out and out entrepreneur who's actually going to be stepping outside the the envelope, breaking all the rules and trying to do everything his own way. Um, that's, that's one of the, the big mistakes I see. Uh, the other one is, is getting people who don't have the social skills really to be able to get actively involved in sales. If that's what that franchise involves, you know, um, mm -hmm. have yeah, you got experiences or, or comments in that sort of area that you've you, you yeah. like to comment on? Yeah. You know, I would say that the, that's probably the, biggest pain point I, I see franchisors having is that they've brought these franchisees onto their team and they've sort of missed on, on that, that's having that social or sort of sales oriented background. And so now the, like the franchisee is, you know, expecting the franchisor to drive leads to them or business to them. And I mean, we're really missing the opportunity there, as I was sort of alluding to before, that in franchising, there's this amazing opportunity to leverage the local market. And if they're not, like, I just see this all, all too often that it's almost like franchisees get, get it in their head. And, and again, I, I kind of blame the franchisors for not thinking, I mean, maybe it's not their fault initially, but once they start to learn this, you really need to get clear on this in the vetting process because the, I think the franchisees just think because it's a franchise, there's automatically going to, it's going to be easier. Like we sort of get that in their head. And, and, and when I was in the field, I used to hate when the franchise salesperson had sold this thing to these franchisees as a turnkey operation. I'm trying to bust that myth because what I saw was then the franchisees expected not to work hard mm. and not to have to grow their business. And that, you know, we were just going to take care of everything. So I'm, I just try to get away from that term altogether. Yeah, you're quite right, actually. I've never thought it in terms of that term, but it's, that's, that's what it does imply, isn't it? You've got everything yeah. there. And, uh, and, and I think in the early interviewing stages, really, when you're first talking to people, those are things you're going to lay, lay down the ground rules and you've got to make sure it's absolutely clear to everybody that, as you say, you're going to have to work. It's not a place of where you you pitch up, you open the doors, you go and sit down yeah. with the paperback and wait till the customers come in. Um, yeah. Well, and, and with my, my own brand or my, my family brand, when I, my first store that I opened as a franchisee was store number 300 in the chain. And even, I mean, when we first opened, we, we, 
I like to pretend that it's because we were rock stars, but the market was ready and we, we pretty much doubled our projections in the first year. So um, our projections were for about 900,000 and we did 1.7 million in the first year. But again, the market was like, that's the beauty of a franchise. People knew the brand, but over time, it didn't, wasn't always like that. We still had to hustle. And I've had people that have said to me to this date, you mean like even at M&M Meat Shop, or sorry, M&M Food Market, the newer name, you, even though people know the brand, you still had to like go out into the community and, and do these things to get business. And I'd say, yeah, I mean, we've, we have competition. We got to stay in front of our audience and it's expensive just to spend a bunch of money on advertising. We can do a little bit of that, but we, we really needed to do both. So it's, it, what it's really taught me is that people have these perceptions and that as a franchisor, it's really important to know what those are and, and not just tell people the rules, but like really dig deep. Like when with the, the 10 traits that are in this, this resource that I'll share uh, being sales oriented that, you know, we talked about was one of them. We don't want to just tell people that you need to be sales oriented. We want to dig into their background and find out if they've ever done anything either in sales or might not even be that they've done sales per se, but if we find them to be like you said, social and comfortable talking to people that they don't know. And you know, there's ways that you can look into their background and their history and find out where they were successful and go, okay, that's a trait that's going to transfer really well. Yeah, that makes, that makes absolute, absolute sense. Now, uh, number of our listeners here obviously we're based in australia although we go this, this podcast gets distributed internationally but nevertheless the australian market's interested to learn a bit about canada um it's very similar to australia except the, the temperatures are diametrically opposite mm, yeah <laughs> um so that would mean there'd be some some businesses which probably wouldn't appeal in the same way in canada as they do in australia because we you know where i am near Brisbane on the, on the East coast is sort of literally permanently spring and summertime compared with you guys. Um, yeah. So that would impact on some of the businesses, but what, what sort of businesses are, you know, are in demand from the franchise point of view in Canada uh, as we talk? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I mean, we're, we're, you know, with, with uh, the, the lockdown lifting and, you know, more businesses reopening, that's helpful, but I would definitely say that, there is, uh, there's, you know, people are, are, are really more interested right now, probably the same all over the world, I guess, you know, in more in businesses that are lower investment um, with, you know, that aren't bricks and mortar that uh, they can, they can do regardless of whether there's, you know, a lockdown or not. So I think, I think when it comes to, you know, the different uh, countries, we're probably not a whole lot different there. Um, I'd love to be able to say, oh yeah, like this is the one thing, but, but the other thing I guess I would, I would comment on. And again, I don't know if this is unique to us uh, a whole lot, but I, I do um, think it's been really interesting to see the the range and diversity of, of concepts that people are franchising. I, I'm curious if you're seeing that in Australia as well in the last, say, you know, 10 years, like it, of course, used to be all quick service restaurants and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, nowadays, I'm working with everything from a uh, a cat hotel <laughs> to a VR arcade uh, company. So I think people are realizing that there's these these interesting alternative concepts out there, and uh, and they're looking at those. Are, are you seeing that in Australia as well? Yeah, certainly. People are realizing it's got a much broader spread than just as you say the 
you know, the, the, food, the food market and, uh, and home cleaning. Uh, you know, those sort of mobile businesses are a very strong part of the marketplace. And then obviously food, restaurants, cafes, um, and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, we're going into smaller specialist niches. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that's where I think there's lots of opportunity. There's an Australian company that's moved very successfully into the US. I don't think they're up in Canada at this stage, but Poolworks, um, who do mm -hmm. domestic and commercial swimming pool cleaning and repairs and so forth, but they've just done it so well. They've walked into the States and straight away been enormously successful. Uh, and mm -hmm. that, that was the reason I made contact with you was because I think there's opportunities in those niche markets for Australian companies that are in those sorts of spaces to actually explore because yeah. uh, where, where there isn't strong competition, obviously is where there's a great opportunity. And the, the, the similarities between Canada and Australia are significant. You know, the, the character, mm -hmm. the cross-section of the people, our attitude, our high immigration levels, um, I, I think the general overall standard of living and, and so on and so forth is, is pretty similar. And um, mm -hmm. so it's looking at those areas. Um, it's certainly, certainly one that I think gives enormous opportunity. Um, and, uh, and it's smaller businesses that are beginning to franchise. You don't have to have 500 outlets to be a successful franchise group. And uh, um, often I think a lot of people in the industry and a lot of consultants and, and so forth, you know, and, and lawyers will discourage people if they don't think they're going to be huge. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of people here who say, you know, unless you're going to have 60 to 100 outlets, you know, there's no point franchising. I, 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 I question that most, 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 most severely because um, you can have six or eight outlets. And if that's what you want and the franchise model works for you, then that's perfect. You don't need to have vast numbers to prove your worth. Um, and uh, do, do you see many smaller groups in, in, in Canada, Angela? Yeah, I did lots of, yeah, lots of startup and smaller franchise companies. And I, I think with those, with, you know, in, in terms of profitability for the franchisor, it really comes down to getting it right from the start. And this is the thing, right? If, if, if people reach out and get help from, from people like us that can, can support them, you can save a lot of, and I'm not trying to promote what we both do, but I really think, you know, to speak with a franchise expert early on is going to be what's going to help people get to, uh, to profitability as a franchisor faster, but at the same time to be careful about, uh, I, I don't know, I find there's a lot, like you said, you know, there's a lot of people that have these things in their head and they, they go around kind of fear mongering uh, franchise franchisors. I do definitely see too that the smaller, like earlier stage, if they can figure out alternative revenue streams, that's always really helpful, right? Like, so it's not fully dependent on, on royalties, but also, you know, maybe it's some product sales or something where they can, they can make a, a revenue off that. I find that, but yeah, there's a lot of really neat franchises. There's tutoring companies. Um, uh, yeah. Everything from like property, property development companies and, and just all kinds of neat stuff out there. Yeah, and you're right with regards to having an alternative revenue stream. That really is important. And it's certainly seen some successful examples of that here, as you probably have as well. Even people who start off dog washing end up making more money out of the products they sell once they start branding white label and so forth. So it's something yeah. very, very conscious of, that opportunity. Um, so, uh, and getting it right from the start, as you say, standing on someone else's shoulders, it's just such a shame, shame to see someone with a great business who hasn't got the model sorted and um, 
and it, yeah. it's a long painful expensive process to try and get that right and many fall off um, the, the roadway to success along that along that trail you know that uh, they, mm -hmm. they they haven't understood some of the elements and uh, i think that's as you as you say it's important to um have have contacts with people who understand which is where i perhaps lead to the in australia the the you know the the um uh, franchise council of australia is is how I sort of go our go-to industry organization perhaps you could tell me a little bit about the canadian franchise association um mm -hmm. Angela, because that's uh, that's a point where i try and encourage young or new franchisors to become involved very early because there is that that opportunity to learn very quickly and certainly in australia the the, Fs, the, the franchise community are very unselfish um you know uh, people in totally different industries and in, and in the same and similar even competitive industries will often share knowledge and encourage people um it's a great place to go to actually get support confidence and uh, and to learn mm -hmm. oh my gosh that's really neat that you said that because that's what i see here too i see that absolutely in in canada and the us that you know that 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 collaboration between franchisors even in the same industry is really incredible um yeah so the canadian franchise association i am a huge fan of um, my dad used to do a lot of uh speaking and and you know i don't know if he different different volunteer positions you know maybe on the board so like as soon as i made the decision to uh work with franchisors as, as a consultant, I actually don't really use the word consultant because I don't, I'm not a broker and that, that seems to imply that, but I, you know, initially calling myself that, uh, now I'm a, I say franchise growth catalyst because it sounds much cooler. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love the expression. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, initially just the minute I told him I was going to do this, he's like, you've got to become a member of the CFA. You've got to, you know, you've got to start networking with the CFA. You've got to go to the CFA events and, he was so right. It is, it, it's also an, like, like your uh, council there in Australia. It's an incredible group, so supportive and, and so tight knit, but, but include, but inclusive, you know, tight knit, but come on in and, and join us. And, you know, the, the, uh, the lobbying that uh, the group does, David Black is the, the uh, guy that takes care of that for the most part at the, the CFA, big shout out to him we're working so hard, you know, uh, working, we're working so hard, like I'm sure anywhere is to help the government understand that franchising is small business. Um, you know, we, we've, I think the, that the Canadian Franchise Association has really made massive leaps and bounds to, especially during this COVID time to support the franchise community and, and particularly help franchisors support their franchisees. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, there is a um, a podcast going on right now with one of our local franchise heroes. His name is Brian Smolkin, S-O-S-M-O-L-K-I-N. And he, you'll love this, I think, is the founder of Smokes Poutinery. Um, and Smokes Poutinery is a, a franchise company that, of course, sells poutine, which is, of course, a Canadian staple, you know. <laughs> we eat it every day. Um, I'm kidding, but we do eat a lot. We, it is a Canadian thing. And Ryan teamed up with a, a, a podcaster as a franchisor. He teamed up as a you know, co-host with a podcast named uh, The Blund Dean Blundell Show. And it's been going on for, I think they've been going on, a, on about 60 days or 60 episodes about, about how franchising is supporting local business. 
And I just, I just thought I'd weave that in because I find that so many, like the government and different people, they automatically think of, you know, Subway or something and they think big company. And yeah, the company itself is big, but the people that are running it are small business local owners. And so I'm excited that, that, you know, our local hero, Ryan Smokin is doing that, uh, that podcast for, um, you know, to help bring awareness. And so it's like the hashtag support local. Um, and I, yeah, I just mentioned it because he's doing such great work and, uh, yeah, shout out to them, but he's involved very heavily with the CFA as well. There's a lot of, uh, really smart and established franchisors who have, you know, been through a lot of made their mistakes and things, but that are involved on the board and that are giving back and, yeah, I highly recommend the CFA for education and networking and support. Definitely a great organization. Right. So that's certainly a go-to. Tell me something. I, um, I know whether you know the statistics off the top of your head, but approximately how many franchisees are there in Canada, Angela? Yeah, well, I, I that's funny that you asked me that. I, I found a, a source on that. Uh, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, so I'm glad I looked it up. But I, the last thing I saw was that there were over 75,000 franchise units uh, in 2019, uh, 1,300 franchise brands across uh, about 50 different sectors. Oh, that's so almost identical to the numbers here. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah. What's yeah? Well, I was going to ask you what the population of Australia is approximately. Yeah, we're just you know? on twenty-five million. I think you're close to forty, aren't you? Uh, I think maybe thirty-three or something like that. But yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, and I yeah, I do I do hear there's a lot of similarities um, in like not only just the culture and, and that sort of thing, but definitely the the franchising side of things. So. We've learned, you know, lots of in, interesting and you know, hearing the enthusiasm and your 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 support of the sector is all really encouraging. But you know, one has to say, you know, take a step back and let's be cautious. Don't let's don't let's go into this, you know, prematurely. What what are some of the caveats you would say to, you know, maybe what you might call an overzealous franchisor who who says, right, I'm going to pack my bags and come over to Canada. Yeah, that's a great question. And because I, I get asked this a lot, of course, like people say, I'm thinking of coming into Canada. And I would say like m most people, when they first say it, they haven't, they haven't thought through all the logistics and, and, you know, actual steps that they need to take. And of course I, you know, want to promote my, my domestic economy here and, and or opportunity for people. Um, I think because it is such a big country uh, geographically, um, and just based on our population and that sort of thing, I would say not to come if you're just going to put one unit, you know, and that's probably true anytime anybody goes internationally that, you know, and again, ideally with, with, as with any country, you know, you'd start with, I would always recommend starting with a corporate unit if you can and getting the market figured out. Uh, I find that people try entering a new country and, you know, even, even people coming from the U S to Canada, you know, they're, they, you, it seems so like no brainer, right? You're just crossing a border. There's no ocean in between or anything like that. But the things that people need to really think about include like the cost of supplies, the labor costs, you know, when they're, they've got their unit economics figured out in their home country. Well, what if you change the labor costs? What about the rent costs? And, and like I said, supplies, um, you know, I have a client in the U.S. who was kind of t starting to talk a little bit about coming to Canada, and one of the it's a it's a, a natural hormone balancing uh, weight loss centers, and it's called Be Balanced, uh, and they're 
they have their own line of, um, of supplements for their clients. And we started talking about it. I was like, well, you know, one of the things is if you uh, are selling anything retail in Canada within your chain, you're going to have to have like the labeling compliance is you're going to have to have French on everything, English and French. We don't, we don't speak French. Uh, you know, it's most, most provinces besides Quebec. And I guess there's a couple others, New Brunswick, they have French speaking people, but it's, it is, we are a bilingual country. So now you've got to, you know, think about the labels. Um, and then of course the cultural nuances and, and, uh, I always kind of joke, like, we are not the U.S., like, we are our own, you know, and I got a quick funny story for you. I uh, used to work with a guy from New Zealand um, back in the days, actually, that I was in the field for M&M Food Market, and people used to say to him, oh, are you Australian? And he'd say, like, and this would be usually a Canadian, right? And he'd say, oh, you, you Americans are all the same. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like don't group it like it's probably how the, the kiwis feel like we are our own country you know that's how we kind of feel with the u.s like we have we have our own some of our own nuances and and things that we care about we even have our own spelling of some things we're sort of we follow the british uh, monarchy right <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> watch out for that yes no, I, I appreciate that difference and rivalry is quite significant uh, more so than it is between new zealand and australia uh from what I can see, particularly uh, looking at the way you know the countries are moving, diverging from the point of view of you know politically and economically at the moment. Oh yeah. But uh, so um, okay, so from, from a, let's say from a market point of view, the opportunities there, and yes, that makes sense. Open a corporate outlet first, so you get to understand the marketplace and learn the lessons. Mistake that lots of American companies have made here is they sell, us, they sell a franchise for the country. They uh, generally sell it to somebody. Um, it happened here with Subway and Krispy Kreme, numerous others. Um, they don't understand our culture. They think you can just move something from the States to Australia and it's going to be an instant success. Um, the reality is, as people here know who've worked around the country, even our states are different. You have to adopt a slightly different attitude in Sydney to what you do in Melbourne or Brisbane. Mm -hmm. um, does that apply in the same way in, in Canada, Angela? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, so, well, just on that last point you made, I don't know if, if uh, well, maybe just, I, I never want to speak like from a, a legal perspective too much because it's not my, you know, my specialty, but I can tell you that there are, you know, for different states, there are, sorry, provinces, I don't even know why I said states, but for different provinces, we have, there's different regulations. So, um, it's not, it's not super complicated. It's, it's relatively easy to do from a legal standpoint. Um, you can get, so like for disclosure, you can get a, a standardized uh, franchise disclosure document that will work in any province. Uh, some provinces require extra paperwork that you just, you know, it's basically just a templated thing that you put in the, the, the back of the franchise documentation. Um, but some of our provinces aren't even under disclosure law. So you wouldn't even have to disclose. So um, the, yeah, so to answer just sort of from a legal perspective, I think, you know, there's some nuances. Um, there was something else you said there, and I'm missing on that first part of that question. Mm, it slipped from my memory too. <laughs> okay, well, I, I got something else. I can talk about something else if you want. <laughs> Be, besides uh, the Canadians like eating poutine and watching hockey and, and drinking maple syrup. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, what I can say is, is, is Canadians are... Uh, there's actually, it's funny because 
I've, I've done a, a couple of uh, articles on the differences between Canada and the US. Actually, there's one in the Global Franchise Magazine from a couple of years ago. And it's also on my website, uh, which is angelacote.com. And we can, we can clarify that after, but um, on the, in the media section uh, on the differences between Canada and the US. And when I pulled a bunch of uh, Can uh, Canadians and Americans asking them what they see as the differences when it comes to franchising or, or business in general, uh, one of the big things that, that I came across was that Americans think Canadians are nice. Were really nice. <laughs> so as funny as that sounds, it was like a common sentiment. Um, I think I think in general, Canadians are a friendly bunch, very willing to help and uh, very multicultural, which I, I think is really neat. I'm very proud of that. I love that we're multicultural. We, you know, we have so many Canadians and that like Canadians that are first generation that are different, you know, come from a different cultural background, but uh, we're all one. So I think that's really neat. And I think Canadians are very innovative um, and, and do a lot of neat things. So yeah, of course you can tell I'm a proud, a proud Canadian, but um, I think there's a lot of things that make it easy to come into Canada. I just don't think like we talked about, you know, you wouldn't want to just do one. You've got to make it worth it. The, the vastness of the, of the country and then the population density, like we've got some hubs of like anywhere, but I mean, if you go, and look at like, you know, Toronto to Montreal to like out where I am in Victoria, Vancouver. Um, there's lots of, there's lots of clarity on those locations. Like, you know where to go because this, you go where the big cities are, but they are spread out. So, you know, there's some planning around that to, to think about. And, and so getting the, my recommendation is if people are coming to Canada to, to speak to Canadians myself, I'm happy to do that, but really figure out where's the best first market. Don't just kind of plunk down and, and hope it will work. Like there are definitely markets that are probably going to be more viable for most businesses than others. Yeah. And that's a very, that's a very, very good point. Just as much as you, you need to, I say interrogate, I mean, in the nicest way, prospective franchisees so you, you need to do the same when you look at the, the demographics and so forth of the markets in another country or another state or another province where you're going to just to find out what the differences are as you say it's, it's beyond culture it's uh, there are just different nuances different habits and so forth so important to tap into those so look it's been a lovely discussion i've enjoyed this in general terms and i think for anyone listening um angela's generously there offered to you know, just to speak or correspond with anyone that'd like to learn more. Um, I'd, I'd like to, perhaps you could also give us the detail, the contact details for the, the CFA, the Canadian Franchise Association, Angela, while you're there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will do that. I, if it's okay, I want to give a shout out to an Australian company that I, that I know, a franchise, young franchisors. Is that okay? Yeah, please do. Okay. So I just want to give a shout out to uh, the guys at City Cave, which is, uh, a wellness uh, facility that uh, so that the two guys that that are the founders are Jeremy Hassels and Tim Butters and they're Australian young Australian chaps and I met them at the International Franchise Association and they became they were in the next gen competition so yes. the net IFA's next gen competition is a competition of of you know emerging and young franchisors um, I think it's like millennials next gen um, age wise. And they were in the top 10 in 2009 and ended up actually taking home 
the uh, the top like number one. They came in at the uh, at the top. So they are are based in in Australia, I think in Brisbane, but I don't want to yeah, say for sure. They are. Yeah, they came out okay. of Brisbane. That's where they started. Yeah. Cool. Okay, good. So I just want to give them a shout out because they are very um, passionate and driven young guys trying to make a, a good difference in the world. And, you know, they're providing a lot of job opportunities through what they're doing. So uh, I couldn't resist giving them a shout out. Good guys. Yeah, look, they're obviously oh. someone to contact. Yes, they started off in Brisbane and uh, yeah. and flotation, yeah, I mean, flotation tanks is... Uh, float, float tanks, yeah. And I think people that are, are looking into franchising where they've already started and like, again we talked about how much people like to help each other i mean i'm sure those guys as much as they're still learning a lot they probably have learned a lot and can can share you know the things that they've learned so um but yeah so the canadian franchise association is easy to find it's uh, cfa.ca if people want to go check out that or just google canadian franchise association and i think you asked me about my contact information is that correct about what sorry about my contact information? <laughs> yes, I think we've got that. AngelaCote.com.au. Couldn't be easier, could it? There you go. Except for not .au. Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. And just dot, dot .com. And it's C-O-T-E because Cote, you know, it sounds really fancy, but it's just C-O-T-E. Um, and I also, I also love uh, connecting with people on LinkedIn and all that. I've got lots of content that goes out all the time. Everything from uh, videos to podcasts and things that talking about uh, how to, how to do this right. I think we all need to come together and do this right. So yeah, I'd love to help anybody that's, that's listening. Look, it's been fascinating chatting to you. It's really been a nice rambling conversation. I hope our listeners have found it interesting as well. It certainly absorbed me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's been delightful speaking with you, Angela. I really Thank appreciate you. your time and, and, I, and I love your energy. It's coming through on the land. It's coming through the, the ether. Um, I'm oh, sure good. That's everyone, so good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm sure everyone will join me in saying it's been a privilege having the opportunity to get to know you a little and hearing your words of wisdom and experiences. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing I like to have people really aware of is, is if, you know, if they are in the early stages, especially that, you know, get, get help from somebody, you, you know, and trust. And I think that's, it's so great, Brian, that you're doing these podcasts because for people that are trying to get to know you and how you can help people and then other experts out there, mm -hmm. I think just really rely on that i think just reiterating that um and then and then one last thing is my uh my signature outro that i always say to people is go be awesome so <laughs> that would be my last thing to tell people go be awesome okay excellent love it love it yeah. okay well, look it's um i'm always interested to hear your feedback and so will angela be i'm sure so if you've got any mm -hmm. comments or, or whatever please contact me just email me at franchisesimply.com.au and uh thanking Angela again for her, her time. So this is Brian Keane from Franchise Simply signing off and looking forward to being with you when we interview our next Franchise Radio Show guest.